Welcome to the Dental Amigos podcast with Dr. Paul Goodman and attorney Rob Montgomery, taking you behind the scenes of the dental business world, all the things you didn't learn in dental school but wish you had. Rob is not a dentist and Paul is not a lawyer, but since Rob is a lawyer, we need to tell you that this podcast is for informational purposes only and shouldn't be considered legal advice. Listening to this podcast does not and will not create an attorney-client relationship. As is always the case, you should formally consult with legal counsel before proceeding with any legal matter. Learn more about The Dental Amigos at www.thedentalamigos.com. And now, here are The Dental Amigos. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Dental Amigos podcast. I'm Rob Montgomery. I'm joined, as always, by the head nacho himself, Dr. Paul Goodman. Great to be talking, Rob. It's good to have you, Paul. And here we are, season four, talking about acquiring a dental practice. You know, so we're talking about really more buyer-driven issues. Uh, today's episode uh, is going to be the exciting topic of due diligence. We need to reframe right? that word because it's it, it's such an important thing, but it's got kind of a a bland way. So we got to think of a new new word for due diligence as we go along. I got to tell you, I don't think it's bland. Well, you're I an mean, attorney. I'm a lawyer. That's it's kind of like torch. You like briefs, it right? Sounds you exciting. Know? You know, yeah, yeah. due diligence. Yeah. Right. Um, it just depends how you say it. Yeah. You know, say it, Paul. Due, yeah, diligence. Yeah, due diligence. Due diligence. You know, the right tone with due diligence, due diligence. makes it pop. You yeah. Know? But although when when I hear the word due diligence, it, it is yeah, like somewhat exciting. The deal's going on, right? But it also means that we're still yeah. not really quite it there. It sounds a little bit like homework to me. That's why I don't think I like it. Right? Okay. You're going to go do your homework, right? You know. I, I don't know. We, I don't know if I'll think of something about the podcast because it is such a critical part. It's kind of the, you know, the the big make or break it to the whole totally. thing. Totally. Yeah. yeah. I mean, again, like I said, it's exciting that things are moving to that point, but it's also shows us that we're still on somewhat, you know, yes. precarious uh, ground here and that, you know, the buyer is still working through things. We right. haven't learned everything that, you know, is to be learned about the seller's practice. So, you know, what goes on behind door number two, yeah. you know, you don't find out until you actually get in there. And as you've said in previous episodes, walk around the practice, you're looking right. at the practice, uh, getting to know the the seller, getting a better handle of what this this practice is all about, what the vision's like, what the people are like. Um, so, you know, but today I think I want to break down the due diligence world into three main categories that we'll talk about. So we'll talk about financial due diligence, operational due diligence, and legal due diligence. And just since I'm the dentist on the podcast, this, you is, are? this is the part that's coming after the LOI mm -hmm. most of the time. This exactly. is like, you have signed an NDA, you've worked out an LOI, letter of intent, um, that we talked about in the last episode, and now you're saying, this is where the seller really opens things up for you to analyze in these three categories. Yes. Now, with the caveat that, as we've said in the previous episode, sometimes if we have the luxury of time and it's not in a competitive situation right. where there are other potential buyers where you have to kind of get in front of the line yeah. and submit your LOI, in those situations, sometimes you might do the due diligence before you submit the offer, yeah. you know, which it might be nice because now you know everything there is about the practice. And when you say, here's what I'm willing to pay for this, you've already done all yeah. the all the research, but you know, I would say that um, that is the minority of of times that you have that. And we, that you know, luxury. we we you and I are are like the podcast that amigos have played different roles on these teams. You know, and I talk about this basketball team, and the broker plays a role. You know, in in our client base. You know, that's we're working for the seller, not a dual rep broker, right. and we're working with the buyer. And I will share with you authentically 
that sometimes being too free with allowing the buyer to dig into details before a letter of intent has cost me many hours of my life. Oh, I'm sure. Discussing why May of 2020 had fewer profits than April of 2020 yeah. when this buyer has not talked to a bank yet. And that's just for everyone's sanity for the success of the deal. So I agree with you and then but say, and usually signing a letter of intent shows a seriousness to the process. Yeah. Now, but what you just said really kind of you know, brings up another topic that is, you know, there are people that are selling practices without a broker, in right. which case the whole order of operations, <laughs> right. you know, yeah. who knows what, what's going to happen yeah. there, how long it goes on, what happens first, what, it, you know, is there, was there even an NDA? Have people started looking at things before, right. you know, there is uh, an NDA or an LOI, you know, all, all bets are off with that. And, you know, it, Sometimes we get involved at different times and different stages of those sorts of deals. And, and I think this is the right time for it, too. I mean, somebody who's bought practices and looks at practices, there's only so much information you can process at one segment of time, you know? So you process the NDA part, talking to them, you process the LOA part. If you start looking at bank statements from two and a half years ago before you see the practice, I sometimes just think it throws the whole your whole mind off in how this works. Mm -hmm. I also will share authentically as someone who's made errors and purchasing practice before I met you, you don't even know what you're looking at some of the time. Right. So, you know, it's kind of like, I was like, hey, Rob, here's the bonding instructions for a veneer on a tooth, you know? <laughs> it's it's It can be like that to a, mm -hmm. to a dentist. And it's like, you start looking at even accounts receivable and things like that. So I think this is usually, my hope is when we talk about this, that this is going step in step with a team that you've hired. Totally. Like a dental focused accountant. Yeah. Not just you trying to figure it out yourself. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you don't know even what you're looking for. And like, again, you know, it's a one transaction. You, do you want to learn the hard yeah, way? Right. Something that you're never going to do potentially the second time. You know, for it's sure. not like you learned how to change the oil in the car and you're going to do that the rest of your life. Right. You know, do people even change oil I, in cars? I am anymore? not. A, I, I don't do know that? if this. I don't know if this is a guess. But I, I know. Not, I'm, I'm not a wrong guy. guy. <laughs> no, no, I don't even like to drive the car, let alone charge the change the oil. I, I think I've seen you behind the wheel once. <laughs> yeah, today is not kidding. the day that we we uh, drive it such a waste of time. You be in an Uber. Yeah, you be in an Uber. Yeah, you be in an Uber. Texting, calling people, driving to me is a. Too much dead time. But I mean, <laughs> I think, you know, we've outlined financial, operational, and legal. I think financial is the good one to start with. And maybe I'll ask you this because yeah. there is just a, I don't know if the right word is reconciliation, but what is the part, and I know you, you don't do this exactly as the attorney, but just basically where you're making sure the financial information is accurate. Right. Right. Like, is this the time where you're just evaluating the accuracy of what you've been given? Yeah, pretty much. Well, some of it you haven't been given. Some things you're trying yeah. to confirm, you know. So generally, you know, with the starting point with this is if the deal has been managed and the table has been set in sort of the normal proper way, there's been a, a practice valuation that's been done yeah. that's sort of been thrown out there as here's the number and here's how we arrived at this right. number. And then it's on the buyer to kick the tires, yeah. you know, to to look at that valuation. And I think it's important for people to to, to realize I, I'm not a big fan of getting your own independent responsive right. valuation. I, I don't see a whole lot of benefit yeah. to that. Um, well, what good is it that you just paid somebody to just do the same thing and it's going right. to be different, right? Like you don't really care about that. What you want is somebody to evaluate that valuation and say, you know, is this number within the range? Again, I say range because right. if it's the valuation says $697,000, you know, it, that's somewhat, there's some wiggle room right. in that. 
Um, you don't want somebody to come back and say, nope, 691, 691. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's it. I'm walking yeah. away. I'm I walking also think you offend it. How could you possibly try to do this? I'll try to use this as an example for the, some of the financial due diligence. It it helps you understand how the money moves to the practice. So I understand, say it's like if someone said, I eat 2,000 calories a day, but I eat 1,900 at breakfast and 50 the other two meals, you go, that is an unusual way to consume food, right? Uh -huh. And I think is that someone buying it, this could be stuff with the team wages, you know, right. it could be a marketing uh -huh. expense. I mean, yeah. I've done with uh, Bob Septak, uh, founder of UBA, we've done the million dollar practice that made no profit, right? right. And it's, there's sometimes you see a consulting fee. What's that for? Uh -huh. Why are they doing it? Right. Because you're basically going to take over these expenses, right? Uh -huh. the, right? The thought that you think you're going to just go in and transform the expenses on day one, there's people attached to these expenses. Oftentimes, yeah. So it does drive me a little notch when someone goes, I know the staff wages are high, but I'm going to reduce them when I get there. Yeah, you know, how? You're just going to make everybody upset with you. Yeah. The people that you count on right. to live your life and show trust in the patients, yeah. you're going to irritate the first second. You, you just get paid a million dollars for this asset where everybody that works in that place, yeah. the 15 people hate you. Yeah, right. Okay, exactly. let's and, now, now let's start. You and, know, and, like, and interesting what, also, Rob, I'll share with someone who's own, who owns multiple practices, even like these vendor relationships, it doesn't mean you can't change, but you're going to probably keep a lot of them the same just as they're moving through the practice. Mm -hmm. You know, some dentists say, oh, they pay a big supply company 7%. And I'm immediately going to order everything off net 32. You're probably not. You're going to try to get your, you, there's, it's so overwhelming to take over a practice. I can mm -hmm. only describe it as when they, um, put a child in your home with no instructions, right? You go to the hospital as two people. You leave with three people. They don't give you any instructions, right? <laughs> right. But everybody comes to help you take care of your child. Not yeah. many people want to sign up for babysitting your dental practice. Right. So I want to just share as the dentist here, uh, I guess financial is that you're going to keep a lot of these relationships the same financially. So you either got to live with them or not. Doesn't right. mean you can't transform over time. Doesn't mean you can look for the best deal on cotton rolls. Right. I'm just sharing that when you get there. But it takes gonna, time. Yeah. Yeah. Over time is the key, the key right. phrase there, you know, and, and so, but I think it's important that uh, to your point, you're working with somebody that is familiar, very familiar with the dental industry that could look at those numbers and say, that's out of line, that's high, that's a problem, to identify these problems. Um, so really what you're looking at, again, you're not doing your own valuation, but your team is evaluating that valuation, yeah. seeing if it's if it makes sense. And then importantly off of that is, you know, what is the cash flow, projected cash flow of the practice, you know, yeah. which I think is more important than evaluation in a buy-in or a practice acquisition. Yeah. And what I mean by that, when we say cash flow, is how much can you expect to make after you have paid the bank and produced and, and been a dentist in that practice as this practice owner. And um, sometimes just because, as you said, a practice grosses a million dollars doesn't mean that this is going to be something that you are walking away and making $400,000 a year. One thing I can share and do is just, just assume you're going to do the same thing as the seller. You know, these, you haven't worked one minute in this practice. So to have mm -hmm. this, uh, there's a, from Seinfeld, a cockeyed optimist, this optimism, but really delusion that you're going to step in and mm -hmm. do things so much differently immediately. Right. And now there's going to be more production, less expense. It's a relationship-based business. You know, like we say, dental offices are people places, not pizza places, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like, I just think that part of the financial part is have your team really show you this is what's going to feel like doing this practice. Yeah. And hey, and, and that's a great point too. Let's talk about that for a second. We've talked about this in different ways in different episodes and different seasons, but, uh, you know, 
un- understand that, you know, it, it's like for you as a practice owner, same with me, like there's a lot of things if you were just starting from scratch, you would do, right? right. You know, but like, it's not that easy to make right. changes, right? For and sure. it was not, wasn't easy for the seller to change those things. And now it's going to potentially be even more challenging for you as the new owner, the buyer, to make those changes. Yeah. So you can't just assume it's not like, you know, HGTV that we came right. in, we cleared everything out, and we put in a new kitchen, we flipped it, and woohoo, look what I got, right? Not that easy and when go it comes back to, to this. previous episodes. If, if you feel this way, you're, a startup might be more for you. Just yeah. as like, there's like, I always say, say you know, uh, it's not exactly, right. there's no other, you know what? I always like when people buy these homes, right? And they like do so much work, they have to live in another home while they're doing work on their home, right? But there's no other practice to live in yeah. while you're doing that. Right. So I think, you it's know, hard. if it's, it's not your mindset, it's just responsible to say maybe a startup is as we get back on track with this. But like, if you want to make these massive financial changes, it is not the right acquisition for you. Yeah. Well, I don't think it's, I don't think that you're straight off topic. I think it's, I think this is the really the, something that's fundamental to the whole due diligence process and what this is about. You are looking to see if this is something right. that you want, right? Yeah. And so if you are looking at things that have overhead problems, you know, or, uh, you know, uh, inflated uh, staff salaries yeah. or, you know, bad collections, bad AR, like those types of things, like that's not potentially the practice to to buy. That's yeah. when you maybe say, it might be better for me to do something else, buy another practice, do a startup. Because these know, things are not checking out. I know, Rob, you, you I know where you'll end up, uh, but I don't think you're going to purchase a dental practice in your life. I'm not saying you can as a non-dentist, but I will share for one value bit of sellers is with this team wages thing and the financial due diligence, if you think you're gonna sell your practice in the near future, stop giving raises, start giving bonuses, because once you raise someone, you cannot unraise them. Mm-hmm. But once you give a bonus, that is something that is just thought of differently. And I do think that sellers will buy themselves out of problems because sellers have no debt, they might've paid off their house. They'll say, what does it matter if I give my office manager 10,000 more dollars? But if you're gonna sell your practice soon, that can be, I know this is mainly for buyers, it's just, I've seen that be a problem. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. Very good point. So, you know, sort of there's probably the line probably blurs a little bit between the financial and the operational due diligence. So operational due diligence will be our next topic. So what type of things should buyers be looking at when they're looking at the, I'm calling it operational because hey, I'm a lawyer, but I mean, some of this is clinical too. So it's really what's going on with the operation, the management, the clinical care, the actual running of the dental practice? What should people be thinking about? I mean, it's a really at? great point. Well, first it's how many patients do they process a day? So what happens is when you're excited to buy a practice, you don't ask enough good questions that are, are gonna impact your sanity and morale. So you think, oh, this dentist did 1.5 million, I can do this, I can also do fillings, I can also do crowns, I can also do implants. But look at that schedule, the Dentrix, the Open Dental, the practice management software, and just take a good look at what, like, I don't remember the show, uh, the game Tetris, right? Right. Of how many blocks, I don't know how attorneys schedule calls each day, and I do have a Google calendar at Nachos, but I know my dentrix schedule. When I walk in there, I see how many blocks, and there's a person attached to each block, and how many rooms are they running? So how many patients do they process to get through the day? Because many times a seller, what, 55 years old, 60 years old, has awesome patient relationships, has dialed in all of their systems, and you just have to say, is this gonna be too many patients for me to process in a day? Mm-hmm. The other factor I would say is the booked out factor, is how far is the practice booked out? 
I really believe more the better for the transition because there's very charismatic dentists, you know, maybe I'm a charismatic dentist with case acceptance. And if I don't have someone in three weeks, I know I can get someone in three weeks. I know somebody's gonna come in. I know a 72 year old's gonna break a tooth. I know they're gonna need an implant. And I know that I've known them for 15 years. So while I might not freak out if my schedule is not booked out for three weeks, if you're going to take over the practice, I think you do want to see the schedule booked out mm. as far in advance as possible for your sanity. Also, there is such thing as too far booked out, right? Right. Because we're solving problems. I mean, you're solving problems too. If I if I referred you a nacho dentist and said, hey, Rob, they need an asset purchase agreement. You say, I can fit them in in May. This is January. Yeah. Maybe you sound cool that you're so busy, but like, <laughs> yeah. I don't know if that doesn't that's, help that's the customer, problem. right? Yeah. So I would say this booked out factor of like four to six weeks is a comfortable feeling for a transition. Right. right. If they're if they're booked out for a week, it's a red flag. Mm -hmm. As I don't know if that kind of helps you give some context to the booked out factor. Yeah, yeah, no, totally, totally. That, that makes sense. What other things are you, are you looking at? I mean, then the other thing is, what's interesting about this, and I really don't know how to, I was talking about some of this in Ohio, like when can the, it's kind of frustrating that the buyer can't kind of see the practice run during the game. I, mm. I do think they should just say this because dentists know their team. So if I was selling my practice, I'm not. But if I was, and I had a buyer, and I wanted the deal to go well, and I know I'm the Dr. Nacho guy, and I know that I have people observe, I would say, hey, Dr. Rob, here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna say that you're a dentist visiting, and you really wanna see how we do implants. Mm -hmm. And you wanna see how we do implants. And you're just gonna be observing, mm -hmm. but I'm gonna tell everyone I'm teaching Dr. Rob implants. Now, for my practice, that's on brand. If nobody's been inside your practice for 30 years, and you say, today's the day Dr. Yeah. Rob's gonna watch me do a filling, uh -huh. there could be a red flag. But what I'm getting at is, there's an operational component to the team and how the team manages you each day, yeah. right? How hands-on are your assistants with the patients? How much are you doing behind the scenes? So I, I'm, I'm kind of stuck in a conundrum. You can talk from the attorney perspective. It's hard to evaluate the operational part of the game yeah, without seeing the game. You can yeah. see the schedule. You can see yeah. the schedule. Mm -hmm. You can look around the office. Right. You can definitely talk to the, you know, practice owner. Mm -hmm. But sometimes practice owners, just like with our kids, we have um, uh, quaint delusions about our practice, such as we always run on time. And if the team was there, they go, what is this guy saying? Yeah. He's always yapping too long to the, we miss half our lunch all the time. And these <laughs> things really aren't probably deal breakers, yeah. but they're important operational themes that I think yeah. will help a dentist be happier, unhappier inside the practice. Yeah, it's a tricky issue, you know, because you could see where the seller's coming from, that they yeah. just don't, it, until they're, you know, things are sort of like a somewhat certainty, is that a thing, right? Yeah. You know, they, they don't want necessarily the the staff to, to meet this person. And, and, and I, I can see that. I kind of wonder though, you know, like, like, can you just schedule a, a hygiene exam? You know, yeah, if, yeah. if you're, That'd any, be good. you know, I like that too. Sit, you know, like see what it is. Yeah, you how, how schedule we cleaning. That's a great just, idea, just Rob. Be, just walk and just tell the seller, like, hey, I'm going to, uh, uh, you know, I'm going to schedule an appointment. I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to go through the whole process. I'm going to call up. Or I'm going to do it online. I'm going to see what it's like when I when I walk yeah. in the front door. It's sort of like that. Uh, it's sort of like a version of what's that? Uh, the undercover boss, yeah, yeah. the TV show. I like think nobody your, knows. Like, you know, this, the buyer's here. Like, but nobody knows it's the buyer, right? We, I love that idea. You should you should suggest that. I think that's great. Right. Um, but I will say this, and I know we come at this from different angles because your job is to make sure the deal doesn't fall apart. And my job might be to make sure the dentist is happy. But like, is the way it's going now 
a good one with the teams. Like, I don't feel like it is, right? Like, hide, 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 hide. Tell them the day of the thing. Mm. I don't know. Like, I'm not saying we're going to solve it in the next 15 minutes. But like, I don't know if the current yeah. system is we're like, oh, this is really going well, right? Yeah. You got people crying. You got people mismanaged expectations. Mm. You got sellers being so afraid that they just say, it, hey, nine o'clock, here's your new boss. 10 o'clock, do a crown, right? Yeah. You know, so I, I do believe that this portion of the process, and I know we'll get to it in a future mm. episode, is open for improvement. Yeah. Well, I think, and, and and this is probably one of the instances where, you know, every deal and every situation, yeah. every practice, every seller, every buyer is different, you know, and I think it's, it's hard. This is, but it's a hard thing to manage, you know, because they're very much competing expectations and anxieties and they're both somewhat valid. Yeah. I mean, I think sometimes sellers do kind of like just overthink the fact yeah. that, you know, that, there's, uh, there's uh, the staff's going to know that you're selling the practice. I mean, if you're 68 years old and the staff sees that there's somebody coming in to buy the practice, it might be a relief for them. You know, they might have been wondering, like, yeah. what's the transition plan here? Well, that's like, what I say. You could say in this, you know, and I know this is kind of fits with due diligence, but we'll later things, we don't have to dig in too much, but it could be like the seller could be the champion and say, what I'm doing for all of you team is trying to figure out the best person so you can keep up this legacy and keep your job. Yeah. I mean, there's not many dental teams that they don't want to go get another job. Yeah. Not many right. people walk into work saying, I hope today's the day I have to get another job in my field. Yeah. So if you say to your hygienist, I'm trying to find the best person possible so you can keep up this legacy mm -hmm. and, I, and you're such an important part of the practice, mm -hmm. you could totally reframe it, but not dentists, Rob. We're not that they make, <laughs> if you, if dentists can make something weird, they're professionals, right? <laughs> totally perfect. You know, right. but also I'll share real quick in the due diligence phase, and maybe this is good, like, if you've never printed out a dentrix report or practice management report, I know you know some of this language mm -hmm. from what you do. Yeah. And you said to your office manager, could I get all the codes for the last three years today? Yeah. They're going to know something's up. Right. You right. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. You know. Well, I mean, again, this is why this is different from, you know, practice to practice, deal yeah. to deal, seller to seller, that uh, you know, some people have better communication with their staff. Some people could you know, they already know that information. Yeah. They don't have to ask. So I think um, it's hard to really kind of assign a one size fits all with this. Um, but it's a tricky thing to navigate yeah. for sure. So that was just my thing. I mean, you can look at the schedule, you can look at the booked out factor, you can look at the patients and the procedures, but the operational in-game stuff is still kind of in a very difficult way to assess. But I like your idea of schedule a secret shopper hygiene visit. Yeah. How about clinical stuff, Paul? Like where, um, I mean, clinical stuff at? is... You know, I, I don't know how it fits. There's, there's behind the scene cases you can show like the lab work that you're doing for implants. You get mm -hmm. a context of the quality, you know, of what lab they're using. These, these are interesting things where like that actually, I believe has a lot of ability to change after you take it over mm -hmm. where like, I don't know. I mean, I'll just use an example. If you're buying your food at ShopRite and you want to get it at Whole Foods, it's not like dramatically different. Mm -hmm. So if someone's like, this lab seems like a bad lab, like you can get a different lab, you know, type of thing. Well, how about just like similarity with procedures though? I mean, that, that's important, I mean, that right? should be something that they, if you think of like a giant pizza, but it's not cut into eight individual slices. And if the owner is doing a big slice of root canals mm -hmm. and you can't do a big slice of root canals, that you should know that that piece is one that you might not be able to consume. So it's a really good point that you should just be seeing, can you replicate these procedures 
how many specialty procedures are they doing? If you were, to, we had Todd Fleischman on, one of my favorite dentists and people, he does a high level, lot of high level cases. If you were buying his practice and you couldn't do those high level cases, well, that production is not going to be on the table for right. you. So it's a good point that you really should take this pizza, this unequal pizza pie and say, what can I do? What can I do? Part of me feels, Rob, maybe some sadness that some of this should be thought about prior to this stage, mm -hmm. right? Like if you're having a conversation with the seller back from our last episode and they say, I do all my own ortho and endo and that's how I make money and you don't do any of that. My hope is you don't get to the due diligence stage. Yeah, it's true. You know what I'm saying? It's true. No, that's a good point. All right. So the, the third and final uh, area of due diligence we're talking about today is legal due diligence. Um, and, you know, I'm going to admit some I mean, this stuff is all important, but it's somewhat more routine for yeah. us. So, you know, what we're looking at with that is obviously making sure that there aren't liens on the yeah, practice. I was like, so you're like the fact checkers. But I remember I know in New Jersey, there's like the bulk sale thing, right? Right. It's like right. It, I, I could somehow absorb the debt of someone by accident, right? Yeah, well, that's yeah, but that's really more of like our. It's not really due diligence on the practice oh, for right us. It. That's just sort of mechanics of oh. of getting a deal done. Um, that you know you have to make sure that the the state isn't able to assert a lien on the assets that you're purchasing. Um, so, but good point. Yeah. So you've been sticking around. You've been yeah, listening, yeah. Paul. Yeah, yeah. I, I appreciate that. Uh, but now what we're talking about is just what liens are going to have to be satisfied or paid off, um, and loans that the that the practice has. Uh, sometimes the bank will perform lien searches. We do our own as well. Sometimes our clients get all miffed, like, well, bank yeah. did it. Why did you do it right, too? Because yeah. the bank doesn't always catch everything. Right. And, you know, we want to make sure that you're, if you're paying for something that you're not right. buying something that somebody else has a lien on. Um, also looking at, you know, a big one is to look at the, at the lease. If there's a third party landlord, yeah. um, you know, what are, what's in that lease? What kind of renewal terms? How much term is left? Does it have good, uh, assignment language in connection with the sale, making sure that there aren't things in there that would allow the landlord to relocate the practice. Yeah. You know, like just because, you know, you're diligent and you're careful, it doesn't mean that the person you're buying the practice from right. didn't just sign some lousy lease without right. even reading it. So, you know, you're going to be taking this lease over or you might be, you have to know what's in it. And if it's really bad, you might want to try to negotiate something with the landlord, negotiate changes to yeah. that lease. But, you know, like the lease is a really big due diligence, legal due diligence item. And I would say the last really big issue that's, that's, that's fairly common and typical is, you know, in a practice that has associates, you want to look at those employment agreements with the with the associates, yeah. um, know whether associates have left recently. Do those associates have restrictive covenants, covenants not to compete? You know, you don't want to buy a practice and find out that the associate can go and hang out a shingle yeah. across the street after you've paid a million dollars for the practice. In this phrase, and maybe we could like the transferability of an associate to having to work for the new owner is that mm -hmm. different than the normal team member, or is it the same? Uh, it's it's different because the, generally team members don't have written agreements. They don't have contracts. Uh, associates generally or should. Yeah. And so there, it depends on what the agreement says as to whether or not that associate is, quote unquote, technically supposed to yeah. work for a potential buyer. Um, obviously, if somebody doesn't want to work for you, it's hard to make them. Right. Uh, it may not be a good idea to try. Yeah. Uh, but the, the law varies from state to state, and it's also going to matter from contract to contract, whether or not the covenant not to compete or the restrictive covenants generally in those agreements are assignable to a, uh, 
a purchaser of the practice. Gotcha. And so that, that's part of what we're looking at. Point. Yeah, that's a, it kind of shows the value of contracts in general. Yeah. And, you know, we talk about that issue. You know, this is why you need to have yeah. restrictive covenants in your employment agreements, because when the day comes to sell, somebody may not want to buy your practice. Right. If your associate's producing 70% of the dentistry right. in the practice and you have not asked her to have a... Uh, uh, a covenant not to compete and somebody's looking at this thing, well, if I buy this practice, yeah. what's going to happen if she competes against yeah. me, you know? And so um, that's one I of those. I also want to add is, is there's like, as is someone who's been on their side, I think it's a really good point. If we're talking about buying a practice, acquiring a practice, we're talking a lot about first time practices mm -hmm. and looking at one that has an associate in place that's going to work with you after the sale is, brings in a lot of complexity versus the swap out for the owner. Oh yeah. Cause now you have to get along with this associate. Mm -hmm. Now the the power dynamic has shifted in the practice because mm -hmm. with the team. So I just want to kind of highlight to our listeners, if you are in a situation where you're purchasing a practice where an associate is going to stay on, just look at everything pretty carefully. Yeah. Because like can you talk to that associate ahead of time? Usually not, right? Yeah. You know, because they would and then also I have to say this too. Yeah. Why isn't that associate buying the practice? It can be Sure. It can be for a really good reason, mm -hmm. but it usually is for, you know, it's uh, usually just creates complexities on multiple levels. Yeah. What I typically see, though, even in situations where a seller doesn't want the buyer to meet the, the team and the, the rest of the staff, that there's generally an expectation that the associate will have a discussion with that yeah. buyer. You know, with with the sort of the, the 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 rules and the ground rules being that the associates supposedly not going to tell the rest of the yeah. team, but like that that's a conversation that as of a buyer really should expect yeah, yeah. that. Okay, you know, that. like because if if that associate is not on board, and if they are a major contributor in yeah. this practice, and you know that's a problem, and 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 then additionally, are they going to be okay working with? For you, you know, yeah. what did they have the expectation that they were going to buy the practice? You know, and it may not be that bad. You know, it could be that, yeah, you meet the the associate. Yeah, I'm happy being an associate. I don't want to borrow the money. I, I like my job yeah. three days a week. That's all I want. Um, you know, and I'm nice to meet you and look forward to working with you. Awesome. You know, I'll but share from a that, that's a conversation yeah. that needs to be I'll had. I'll share from a dentist perspective because dentistry has become so cool. People go at all ages and stages. It's not a human age thing, but it's a dental age thing. And let's say that associate's been there for 10 years working with a practice owner who's owned it for 30, and now someone with six years of dental experience is coming out to mm -hmm. buy it. Mm -hmm. They're a lot younger in dental age than the associate, right. and that just can create some conflict. Yeah, right? you know, possibly. It doesn't mean not to do it. It just mm -hmm. means to really think about that transaction, and that's a really good kind of due diligence part there. The yeah, part. great point. Yeah, yeah. And that's that situation. That might be multiple meetings, yeah. longer meetings, and like you really want to get comfortable with that with that situation. Yeah. And look, there are certain people that would embrace that. You yeah. know, be be excited to have somebody that's doing some new things and injecting some new ideas and somebody for them to to mentor. Some people, yes. right? And there's some people who would be an absolute nightmare. And, and for private practice buyers, maybe these scenarios are usually these practices with an owner and associate, which I say they're definitely going to be doing over a million dollars a year. And if they're selling to you instead of to a DSO, that could be the associate could be very happy with that because yeah. kind of saying I'm selling to a DSO, see you later with the associates. I've seen right. sometimes the associates want to go out the door too. Right. So it might be kind of this great story with the 
preservation of the private practice nature of the of the of locations. Absolutely. And I think, you know, we can tie it up there. You know, like this is really with all these things, you know, I think it's important to have the mindset that you are doing your investigation, yeah. right? And kind of have your eyes and ears open, you know, and don't overcommit, don't overly, you know, focus on certain things, but like, you know, just keep an open mind. And is yeah. this what you want? And if you're starting to see too many things that aren't lining up, you know, be realistic and, and say, maybe this is not the right practice for me because this is the time, this is the purpose. This is why yeah. you're doing this. You know, this is not just some, you know, filler thing that right. happens between the LOI and closing, for right? Sure. This is where you're kicking the tires to make sure that this practice that you're going to spend a lot of time and a lot of money in, uh, and and as you say, is does not have a return right. policy, is the one for you. And just because, you know, it may be otherwise good or it may gross $1.5 million, that sounds great. You know, that doesn't mean that that's the right practice for you. If if there are problems on any of these things that we checked out, maybe one of them isn't, isn't necessarily yeah. a, a quote unquote deal killer, but like a few of them might be, and depending on how severe they are, but just don't put on those blinders that once you've signed the LOI that I'm proceeding at all at all costs you know yeah. this is it you know be be open minded keep your eyes and ears open and if you don't like what you see you do not have to proceed great great advice Paul, as always, it's a pleasure. Folks, thanks for uh, for listening. If you like the show today, go on your favorite podcast app and give us a good review. And uh, until the next time, thanks. Thanks, Rob. Thanks for listening to another great podcast with the Dental Amigos. And don't forget to tune in next time to have the dental business demystified. If you're looking for more information about today's podcast, you can find it on the dentalamigos.com. If you're looking for Paul, you can find Paul at drpaulgoodman.com. And if you're looking for Rob, you can find him at yourdentallawyer.com. This podcast has been sponsored by Orange Line Media Group, helping dentists and other professionals create content people love. Find out how we can help you take your business to the next level at www.orangelinemg.com. Till next time.